reminders for yourself to remember things? That's actually biblical. Even God's Word has reminders to help you remember your salvation. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah examines one of those reminders from Ephesians chapter 2, a reminder that covers your past, your present, and your future. Listen as David introduces his message, What the Bible Says About Salvation. So if somebody came to you and you're a Christian and they say to you, what must I do to be saved? What do you tell them? Well, there's an awful lot of uh, different approaches to that answer, a number of sort of formulas that have been created, like the Romans Road, um, four spiritual laws, uh, a number of uh, different plans that present the gospel. But if you really want to know what the Bible says about salvation, you're not going to find a better place than Ephesians chapter 2 and the first 10 verses. We're going to study that together today and again on Monday, and I want to invite you to be sure and be with us for both of these programs. We're in the middle of a series called The Word, uh, the signature series on the Bible. We've gone through all of the 40-some years of Turning Point Radio and Television, and we've selected some of the most powerful uh, portions of God's Word that we have taught on the importance of the Bible. And so this month is all about the Bible, all about the Word. We have a study guide. It's called The Word. It's brand new. We have never had this before. It puts all of these messages together uh, graphically in in one place with all the outlines and scriptures and questions. And um, I'm telling you what's a valuable piece of literature if you're interested in the Word. You can get the study guide from Turning Point at davidjeremiah.org. And you'll also find there's a set of CDs there that you can order that will reprise everything I've said on the radio uh, over these last few days. We also want to remind you that in the month of June, our resource for the month is a book we have created called Living the 66 Books of the Bible, another resource to help you in the Scripture. It's yours for a gift of any amount of turning point. When you ask for this resource, we'll send it to you right away. This 287-page hardback book is our way of saying thank you for your gift to Turning Point during the month of June, which is a very important giving month because it's the end of our fiscal year. We try to have an in-gathering of funds to help us finish in strength and be ready to face the new year with our hands up high, uh, accepting whatever God puts in our way to extend the Word of God. We've been doing that now for years, and the result has been uh, just incredibly uh, overwhelming. And now here is what the Bible says about salvation. We, all of us, are lost and helpless and hopeless, and there's not anything we can do to reach up to God. If God did not reach down to us, we would be left in our hopeless estate. And that is what Paul wants the Ephesian brothers and sisters to know. He has written in the first chapter about all of the blessings that are theirs in Christ. He wants them to understand that as Jesus Christ was raised from the grave and was seated at the right hand of the Father, so they have been raised up from their sin and given a place of standing before God. And in these first 10 verses of the second chapter, 
Paul is going to illustrate for all of us the reality of Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19, we read about this power. What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power? Paul returns now in the second chapter to the subject of the power of God, and he uses the illustration of what these Ephesian believers had been before and now what they have come to be after. It's almost like a before and after advertisement. Over here is the picture of what the Ephesians were before Christ. And then over here is what they have become because of the intervention of Christ in their lives. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul presents the past, the present, and the future of all of us who are believers. And while this section, while we might be surprised that this was not written primarily as a gospel testimony to those who were unsaved, but rather as an illustration to those who were already saved to help them remember what God had done for them, it nonetheless stands as perhaps the most concise presentation of the Christian gospel in all of the word of God. If you want to know what does it mean to be a Christian, here is the place you turn to find out. For here we are given everything about us that is true before Christ and everything Christ does for us to lift us up out of our own situation. The passage basically falls into three sections. First of all, the reason for salvation, our past. Secondly, the remedy for salvation, our present. And thirdly, the result of salvation, our future. Let's notice, first of all, in the first three verses, the reason for our salvation. Why is it that we must be rescued by someone other than ourselves? Why is it that God Almighty has to reach down to us? Why can't we, as many of the religions of the world say, continue to climb up upon our own good works and ultimately merit God's favor? Well, Paul answers that question in definitive terms. First of all, he tells us we can't do it because we're dead. He says we're dead. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, verse 1. In these three verses that span before us now, we have the greatest statement in all of the Bible about the sinfulness of man. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. So death and sin are partners. The Bible says we are dead. What that means is that we are spiritually dead. You say, Pastor, don't walk around telling me I'm dead. I'm here today. I'm breathing. I'm alive. I ate breakfast this morning. I'm not dead. Well, you may not be dead physically, but according to the word of God, until Jesus Christ comes into your life, you are dead spiritually. That means you are dead toward God. That means that God can't communicate with you. You can't communicate with God. You don't have a receiver because the Holy Spirit is not in your heart. Until you become a Christian, until you trust Christ as your savior, the Bible says you are dead. Turn over in your Bibles to the fourth chapter of Ephesians and notice verse 18. Here's what the Bible says about all of us until we find Christ. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Underline the little phrase, alienated from the life of God. That's what it means to be dead before you become a Christian. 
You cannot know God. You cannot understand God. You can't even understand the Bible right. You try to read it and it seems to be silly to you, foolish to you. Because you're a natural person with no spirit that lives toward God. Before we became Christians, before we accepted God's forgiveness through his son Jesus Christ, we were all dead in trespasses and sins. According to the Bible, listen carefully, we were all sinners when we were born. You say, now, Pastor Jeremiah, don't you tell me that those little sweet babies over here in the nursery, born to good men and women into their family, that they are sinful. The only reason you ask me that question is because you have not been observing their conduct. (laughs) They are sweet in their sinfulness. They are self-centered. They want their own way and they want it immediately. And if they don't get it, they let you know. And David said it in one of his Psalms when he was bringing penance before the Lord for his sin. David said in Psalm 51, 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. That's not talking about the fact that when he was conceived through a sexual relationship that that was sin. No, that's talking about the fact that when he was born, he was born into the realm of sin and he inherited the old sin nature that has been passed on to us since Adam. When we are born, we are born sinful. You may not like that and you may say, well, that's a fundamentalist doctrine. No, it's not. It's the word of God. God says we're dead. And we're sinful. And he says we're dead in trespasses and in sins. The Bible says we are all trespassers and we're all sinful. Now, you don't have any trouble knowing what the word trespass means. You walk by some place where they don't want you to go and it says no trespassing. What does that mean? You better not walk there. If you walk over the line, you're in trouble, especially if they have a dog. (laughs) Don't trespass. Trespassing means to step over the line. God has set some standards, and we all step over those lines in rebellion against him. And the word sin means to miss the mark. The word sin means that God has set a standard. We step over the boundaries he asks us not to step over, and we never measure up to the standard he set for us. And the Bible says it this way in Romans. It says, for all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God. What does it mean to be sinful? It means you don't measure up to God's glory. You don't get 100% on the holiness test. And you can't get to heaven unless you get 100% on the holiness test. If we were to line up this whole church here on the platform, and we were to say, we want you now to walk to the ocean and swim to Hawaii, And everyone started out. Some of you wouldn't even make it to the shore. And some of you would get in the water and swim a little ways. And some of you who might be in great shape might be able to swim a mile or two or however far. But in terms of Hawaii, we're all in the same boat, aren't we? We all fall short. God's standard of holiness is so much higher than anything we can imagine that through our own works and through our own effort, we can never measure up. The Bible says we're dead in trespasses and in sin. And then as you continue to read, you discover not only are we dead, we're deceived. Because we're dead in trespasses and sins, 
We walk according to the course of this world. Now that means we walk according to the system that operates in our world. Somebody said this is really an illustration of dead men walking. We are zombies. We're dead men walking. Walking according to the course of this world. And the course of this world is under the domination of the evil one. That's why he refers to the prince of the power of the air. Who is that class? That's Satan. Who is the leader of the world as it is today? Satan is. It is true that the whole world lies in the lap of the evil one. And Satan is doing his stuff today. A lot of times people say, well, God's in charge of the world. Well, God's ultimately in charge, but right now he's allowed Satan to do his thing on planet Earth. And everywhere we look, we see the result of it. The war that is impending is the result of sin and Satan's domination. You don't have to read very much about the cruelty that's going on in that country to know that didn't come from God. That's from the pit of hell. And Satan is doing his work in the world today. And the Bible says because we are dead, we're deceived by what Satan does. And because we are dead, we walk according to the course of this world. When Paul refers to Satan as the prince of the power of the air, he's talking about the demons that he manages. Satan has a whole system of evil that's at work in the world today. If you study the book of Daniel, you even get the impression that there are demons assigned to each nation in the world. He has multiplied his organizational staff in every possible way. And the rule of Satan is everywhere observable. Don't tell me there isn't any evil. Read the papers. Watch the news. There is evil in the world. Am I right? And the Bible says that before we were saved, before we were rescued by Almighty God, we were not only dead, we were deceived. Now keep reading. Not only were we dead and deceived, we were disobedient. Notice it says in verse 2, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. We were dead in trespasses and sin, walking according to the course of this world, and willingly disobeying what we knew to be right. Somebody said, well, I live my own way. You know what? You can live any way you want and you'll still never be able to measure up even to your own standards. Somebody says, well, I'm going to get to heaven because I'm a good father and I'm a good provider. All right. In order to get to heaven on those two standards, you have to be a perfect father and a perfect provider. And nobody can qualify because we all disobey. We do that which is not according to the will of God. The Bible says here we are sons of disobedience. People are surprised to discover that there are two families in the world. Not just God's family. There are two families. The Bible says that the devil has a family. And the sons of disobedience are the children of the devil. You say, oh, that's a terrible thing for you to say in this pulpit. Well, I'm just telling you what the scripture says. We are dead We are deceived and we are disobedient. We are all like that. I was that way. All of you who have come to Christ, that's the way you were before Christ entered your life. We are hopelessly in a condition from which we can never extricate ourselves. For we're dead. We're deceived. We're disobedient. And if you keep reading, you'll discover we're also dead, deceived, disobedient and were defiled. You say, Pastor Jeremiah, I did not come to church today to hear you tell me how dead, deceitful, disobedient, and defiled I am. Well, 
I am bound to tell you what the Word of God says, and I'm not telling you anything that's true about you that wasn't true about me before Almighty God intervened in my life. And some of you who are sitting there thinking, well, that's not me because I'm a Christian. You just need to look back over your shoulder and remember what Paul is saying is, this is the way we all were before God got a hold of us. He says, we're defiled. Listen to this. Among whom you also once conducted yourselves in the lust of your flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. This is a very strong verse. It says that before Almighty God comes into our lives to rescue us from the pit which we have dug for ourselves, we live according to the lust. And that's not just talking about sexuality here. The word lust just means unbridled desires. What I want to do, what I want to say, where I want to go, and when I want to go there. Lusts and desires are simply man living for his own selfish means. And that's the way we are until Almighty God gets a hold of us. You say, well, aren't there great philanthropists who aren't Christians? Yes, but if you just go behind their gift to their motive, you'll discover that even the best things we do apart from God are self-centered actions. The Bible says that our righteousnesses before Christ are like filthy rags. That's what the Bible says. We're dead. We're deceived. We are deluded in our own minds about the way the world works. We're disobedient. We step out of line often, and we're defiled. And because of all of that, there's a fifth thing that's true of us, and that is we're doomed. We're doomed. What it says in verse 3 is, and we're by nature the children of wrath, just as others. Now, get the picture. Here's what he's doing. He's preaching this message in Ephesians 2 to believers. He's saying, I want you to look back over your shoulder now and remember that you were dead and you were deceived and you were deluded and you were doomed. All of that was true. And if it weren't for the power of God that he mentions in verse 19, you'd still be there. All of us here today who might take pride in the fact that we've accepted Christ, we need to remember from where we have come. Because every one of us, no matter how good we may felt we were, until Almighty God got a hold of our lives, we were everything that is here listed in these first three verses. We were all doomed. Children of wrath, it says, just as the others. But I want you to notice something. I want you to underline two words in your Bible. And these are the two greatest words in the Bible. But God. <laughs> Say it out loud. But God. If you read the Bible, that's the theme of the whole Bible. Adam and Eve were lost forever because of their sin. But God, Noah would have been drowned with the rest of the people of the world. But God, Abraham would have been forever forsaken because of his sin. But God, Jonah would never have been given a second chance. But God, go through the Bible and everywhere you look, there's the difference. And it's wrapped up in two words. But God, say it again, but God, God is all the difference. We are lost in our sin, but almighty God came with the remedy. And the reason for our need of salvation is underlined for us in the first three verses. And the remedy for salvation comes now in these next verses. And I want to present this remedy in this way. I want to just have you look at your Bibles and I want to underline the key words that are involved in the remedy. I want to give you the formula for God's remedy. All right. First of all, 
The first part of the formula is rich mercy. Notice what it says in verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy. Now mercy is a term which means to withhold a penalty that is deserved. Sometimes I hear people talking about they want justice. Friend, when it comes to God, we don't want justice. We want mercy. Amen? (laughs) Justice means we get what we deserve. Mercy means God withholds what we deserve from us. I used to pray when I would go into an exam in seminary, oh God, have mercy. You know, I wanted mercy from God. I didn't want justice. I'd studied as hard as I could, but I always felt like it was never enough. Mercy means not getting what you deserve. And there's a great passage that describes that over in Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Almighty God is rich in mercy. You say, Pastor Jeremiah, if you knew what I did, if you knew what my life was like, you wouldn't be telling me that I'm a candidate for salvation. No, I couldn't say that to you unless I knew something about Almighty God. He's rich in mercy. Yes, he is. He's rich in mercy. We sing sometimes this hymn, years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. And that's the truth, isn't it? His mercy is great. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. The mercy of Almighty God. The first part of the formula is rich mercy. God willingly withholding from us what we deserve. Here's the second part of the formula, great love. Notice what it says in the same verse, because of his great love with which he loved us. Why has God given us his mercy? Why are we here today if we've embraced Christianity? Why are we under the plan of God's mercy? Very simple, because of God's great love. God loved us. You say, why did he love us? Because God is love. It's not anything we've ever done. We don't deserve to be loved, but the Bible says, but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And Romans 5, 8 says, but God has commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And 1 John says, in this the love of God was manifested to us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins. Do you know the reason why we don't have to stay down there in death and deception and delusion and all of that? Because God is rich in mercy. God has great love. Let me say to you as clearly as I can today, whoever you may be listening to me, almighty God loves you. If you were the only person ever to inhabit planet Earth, he would have sent his only son to die just for you. That's how much he loves you. He is rich in mercy, and he's great in love. Amen. Amen. 
Well, uh, we're going to take some time off for the weekend and come back and finish up our discussion of what the Bible says about salvation on Monday. In the meantime, some reminders. First of all, a reminder to get to church this weekend. If you have been a little bit delinquent or perhaps not back in the habit since COVID-19, let me just encourage you, one of the most important things you can do for your own spiritual life and stability is to get to church. I hope you will do that this weekend. You can watch Turning Point on television over the weekend as well. Our television program is now seen every place in this country, and you can find it if you look for it. You can DVR it if it's at the wrong time and gets in the way of church, but I hope you'll get a chance to watch us this weekend. And then, of course, be sure to join us Monday as we reconvene here in the Turning Point Study Hall, opening our Bibles together. Be sure to get your copy of the book, Living the 66 Books of the Bible, before it's too late. It's yours for a gift of any size, simply ask for it when you send your gift during the month of June. Have a great weekend, folks. We'll see you right here on Monday. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Word, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, be sure to ask for your copy of David's new book, Living the 66 Books of the Bible, and learn to better understand and apply God's Word each day. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James Versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the series, The Word, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Did you know that nearly 2 million Turning Point radio programs are broadcast each year? Your support enables Turning Point to continue delivering the unchanging Word of God to an ever-changing world. And thanks to our giving challenge, any fiscal year-end gift you give until the end of June will be doubled up to $50,000. You can help Turning Point finish strong by donating today. Call 800-946-4300 or go to davidjeremiah.ca. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. Several times a year, it seems, we hear of a politician being caught by the dreaded open mic. 
a nearby microphone that was supposed to be off but obviously wasn't. Such situations result in a round of apologies for the inappropriate remarks that were not meant for public consumption. Such foot-in-mouth mistakes further support the Apostle James' admonition to be slow to speak. And they certainly raise the question, why am I saying something now that could require an apology later? Even if there is no electronic device recording my words, God hears them all. Making sure God is pleased should be our top priority. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's counsel about speech on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.